Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. How apprenticeships can serve the neurodivergent population. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Someone Gets Me. I have an expert with us today, a gifted woman who is also a mother who also works in the education industry. So she's got all kinds of intersecting understandings and knowledge in this topic. She's an expert in apprenticeships and registered apprenticeship programs and has really uh, made big, huge strides in the state of Florida. So I asked my very good friend, Susan Bazuski eber to come on the show to talk to us about apprenticeships programs, neurodivergency, and just ways that we can expand our understanding to serve all of this great population that we are in meaningful ways. So Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time out to be here with me today. Oh, you're welcome, Diane. Thank you for having me, especially to talk about one of my most favorite topics. <laughs> yes, because almost every time we're talking, it comes up in some way, in an, in an interesting way. And every time I'm like, the gifted people need to hear more about this because, you know, traditionally it's all about, well, you're a geek and you're smart. And you're going to get out of high school and you're going to go to college and probably college early. And that's the track. And more and more people are waking up to the idea that, well, we're not all the same and maybe there are other options. I know when I got out of high school, you either went to college or you were one of those other people. And it was almost probably was looked down on as if you went to like a tech school or something like that. And in fact, you didn't even really want to go to a community college back in, in my high school. And I look back on that now and say, wow, how restrictive that whole system was. And so I'd like you to start with telling us what interested you in apprenticeships to start with? Like, how did you even like care about this? <laughs> well, you know, I'd been working in education for quite some time. And I originally started when I was at, uh, well, at St. Pete College not too long ago, about 10, 15, oh gosh, a number of years ago working with internships. And one of the things I liked about internships, especially at that community college level, was working in those career and technical education degree programs. So not to go too far down the rabbit hole, those are the programs that are not the traditional ones that lead to a four-year degree. They're two years in nature. They have 18 credit hours, give or take a few in um, your general education requirements. And the bulk of it is on exactly what you want to do, whether it's environmental science, engineer technology, uh, web development. So it really concentrates and lets the learner take the courses they really, really are interested in taking. So I started with internships and um, that was phenomenal because I got to learn about what employers really were looking for. So I got to kind of you know, wander around in that industry. And then when an opportunity came up for um, a program, a grant that was in apprenticeships, I was like, okay, 
what is this all about? As soon as I started reading through it and gathering and researching, I fell in love with it. Primary reasons why I fell in love with it. I'm a relationship person. And as I started to look back on what apprenticeships were back in the Middle Ages, right? Because it's, it's got a long history here. Um, it was that relationship between the learner and the teacher, right? And we even, when I talk about it with, um, with employers and, you know, trying to explain to them what it is, I talk about, look, it's in popular folklore even, right? I mean, my favorite one, Star Wars, there's Yoda, right? With Luke, right. you know, Luke is his apprentice and he's showing him how to become a Jedi warrior. Um, we saw it in a popular movie, the one with um, the young man who wants to go, the karate kid, you know, right. he had, uh, he had his mentor. I've always been a mentor person. I love mentors. I will find anyone I find that I think can be my mentor. I'm like, will you be my mentor? In fact, I think I even told you that once. Yes, you do. You, yes, you did. <laughs> so that was like the first thing that drew me into the world of, of apprenticeships. As I started to learn more about it, though, I was intrigued. So think back to the 1937s or so when our country was young and we were trying to build infrastructure and we needed workers. And that's kind of where things started to happen in the construction and trades. So the early apprenticeships in the United States pretty much centered around that. And so a young, a, a young person could go and get employed by a company, and then they were given a journey worker, an experienced worker, that would work with them side by side mm. and help them to learn the trade. On top of that, there was also in, uh, instruction outside that on-the-job training so now you're going to school, you're learning it, and then you're showing up the next day doing it. So that was that really helped really build our country, the infrastructure in our country. One of the other things that I like about it, and I'll talk a little bit more about that piece again, is I've been a big um, fan of multiple intelligence for a very long time. Right. And the fact that everybody learns differently and everybody has is gifted in different in different areas. And so when I think about registered apprenticeship programs or apprenticeship programs, and I think about taking someone who is uninitiated in that particular career and building an on-the-job training. You can't go wrong because what, regardless which of the multiple intelligences, intelligences you fall under, you have that ability to use that intelligence immediately in the on-the-job training. So you're connecting the dots quicker. So I loved that mentorship piece. I loved the, you know, I, I'm sure everyone can think at some point where they had a job where it was like, welcome to your first new day. Here's some a little bit of onboarding. The bathrooms are over there and um, lunchtime is at noon and that's it. And you walk in and, and, you know, you feel like that kid in high school for the first, you know, freshman year where you're walking around going, OK, I know where the bathroom is. I know what time lunch is. They told me about my insurance benefits, but I don't know the culture of this place. 
And how do I find my place in this place? So when you look at the onboarding that is in an on-the-job training module for a registered apprenticeship program, it exceeds that like first three weeks of work. So you're connected with someone right away. So you don't have to go around looking for Judy or John or Tanisha and say, can you be my best friend and tell me how this stuff works? <laughs> you're right. automatically paired with somebody who's going to take you under their wing. What? And that works really well for people who are neurodivergent and have different ways of processing. And I, I want to say something here that that is that is strong in my own world. And that is that I do not look at neurodivergence as a deficit. And I also don't look at it only as diagnostic criteria, which is the common conversation. I see that all of us, all humans are neurodivergent because no two of us are built the same and no two of us have the same autobiography. So the truth is we are all divergent neurologically and our neurons are just not in our brain. It's just not a brain thing. It's our whole body. It's the full experience of all the nervous system neurons going on in the body. And so I think the conversation needs to be expanded and looked at from the strength benefit, which is why I like this apprenticeship thing, because it's more about let's see how somebody learns, what goes really well, and then match it up. So now we have more confidence, more productivity, feeling good about ourselves for all of our different neatnesses and whatever that is. And we have somebody supporting us along the way. Absolutely. And I think I love the fact that you use the word confidence mm -hmm. because I think a lack of confidence really keeps us from being able to do the, the thing that we can do to be the best version of ourselves. Um, if we lack that confidence, we're going to have self-doubt. We're going to not be able to perform. Um, we're going to start to feel bad. And like, we're not, you know, why am I even here? What am I doing here? Um, so that constant, that mentoring, that journey worker piece is real interesting. And then as you're talking about expanding that conversation, well, in 2008, that's exactly what we did at the federal level. We looked at the, first of all, we have emerging occupations yes. that we never thought we would be able to put together. Technology has done that quite nicely. Um, and so then President Obama said, you know, how can we take that model and leverage it as we're moving forward and accommodate a better workforce and get everybody involved? And so that's when really um, registered apprenticeship programs really gained traction. And we started looking beyond the construction and trades into healthcare, IT, manufacturing, um, hospitality, um, I mean, you name it, I've put dog training. Actually, we when I was at the Department of Education, we actually had a um, security dog training program here in Florida uh, to help apprentices, people who want to be involved with dogs and, and, and are into doing that particular piece. Security, uh, I mean, pretty much you name it, um, we could make an apprenticeship program on out of it and in the state of Florida, we're doing quite well with it. And nationally, we're doing we're doing really good work with it as well. So expanding those areas has been really good. And the other thing I think is, as you mentioned early, you when you came out of high school, it was either you go to college or 
wah, wah, you went into the technical school, wah, wah, or you just kind of, oh, wow. you know, I mean, mm -hmm. if you weren't going to college, people were like, okay, is there an issue? I think COVID has shown us, in fact, I've had this conversation with my daughter, that a lot of students are coming out of school and taking a gap year, which is not uncommon in Europe. But we almost, there's this expectation of you go from college, from high school and you go right into college. But that gap year allows a young person to really kind of say, why am I doing this and what am I doing? And if I'm gonna move forward in figuring something out, can I have some time to do that, please? <laughs> right. Well, like I remember, you know, figuring all that out as I was at the University of Florida, like it, it wasn't just going to college. It was it had to be a certain level of college to be acceptable in whatever that perception was. Like, I don't even know if it was really real, but that's how I interpreted it. And that's the way my friends all did. You know, we all did. We all followed that train. And I look at it now and I think, well, it's a good thing. I'm gifted and I'm able to have figured this out along the way. But it didn't have to be that hard. It, it doesn't have to always be that way. And so I did some research this morning um, a little bit. I'm like, you know, I want to see if I Google neurodivergence and apprenticeships. And the only thing that shows up at this moment, as of this morning, was a whole thing about seven major companies that have tech apprenticeships, Google being one of them, which is no surprise why it showed up first on the search. And, and I remember, and you just listed a bunch of different things where you were talking about one day when we were talking about all different kinds of fields and trades and understandings and, and things that typically you would think you need a degree for that can bring people along. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really cool that it's not just technology. And I would like you to speak to how apprenticeships help somebody in being competent, which then, of course, competence raises confidence. Mm -hmm. so, so where does apprenticeships fall in this whole becoming competent in whatever it is I'm setting out to do, whether I'm going to do the dog training thing or hospitality, you know, or any of those kinds of things? How do those play together in through the apprenticeship lens? Good question. So remember, I started with back in the day, last century, um, it was construction and trades. Those were built on hours. So in order to be maybe an electrician, you need 8,000 hours. It's four years, high school. degree. That's a college degree, right? Mm -hmm. um, those kinds of, and they're changing a little bit, but you have someone wiring your house, you really want them to have four years. So it's a good thing, 8,000 hours. However, when we made the move to make more inclusive uh, apprenticeship uh, industries and occupations, they decided to come up with another plan instead of ours and its competencies. Hmm. Okay. So a lot of the newer apprenticeship programs that are in these other industries are based on competencies. So what happens is an employer, I would sit down with an employer when I was with the DOE and, and many of the ATRs, uh, the other staff would do the same thing. And you say, <clears throat> let's look at what it takes to be, let's talk about uh, a programmer. Okay. Right. Um, what does it take to be a programmer? And what are the things you need to learn? Well, rather than saying it's going to take you 
a year and a half or 3,000 hours, it's based on competencies. So once you learn that one thing, it's checked off and you move to the next thing. So for a person that is really, and I think about a lot of the students that I've talked with that are in program programming, mm -hmm. they were the kids that were messing around with HTML when they were in fourth, fifth grade on what was it, MySpace or whatever it was back then. They're so far ahead. So there's a lot of individuals that can move into those competency-based apprenticeship programs and knock out those competencies quickly without feeling like I've got to do this for another five months. And then I can, then I go into the next thing and I go into the next thing. When you have those competencies, that's when you build confidence. Mm -hmm. Additionally, what a registered apprenticeship program does is employers are able to set the uh, a wage scale with it. So if you learn these 10 competencies, you get a dollar raise. You learn the next 10 competencies, you get a dollar raise. So there's that sort of reward as well that's built in with a wage scale that meets that the employer works, you know, the employer kind of sets those benchmarks. But I think between the competencies and this wage scales, you've got some good stuff happening there. I think that's really amazing because I'm sitting here thinking, well, most of the gifted kids I work with and adults for that matter, if we're really fired up about something, we can learn it very quickly because we're fired up about it. And if that, if we're choosing an apprenticeship and a program or in, in an area of work that we're fired up about, and you tell me I have to get these things done in order to get to the next level, whatever that looks like, we are naturally competitive people. And we are naturally going to say, well, I can do that. And, and so I think it helps really kind of fuel that inner calling and that inner vision. Like, I really, really, really want to do this. And now here is an avenue I can do it without having to go through the boredom of like, I have to wait this out for five months or I have to wait this out for a year or I have to take 15 classes that I don't even care about in order to get, take what I do care about. And, and I see so many opportunities for people, like in all areas, like from high school up, like I want to go do an apprenticeship program and something just to do it because it would be fun to go learn something totally new. Exactly. And then for those other sort of entry level positions, um, currently I'm working with um, in the field of healthcare with Mission Care Collective and you've got some of those uh, pro, some of those positions, those occupations that are kind of considered um, terminal positions. So let me say like a, a CNA or a health aid. And those individuals may have very good interpersonal and they might very sensitive people because they want to go into the helping profession. Right. But let's say they're not, you know, academics and conventional academics is tough. So how do you keep them maximizing what they're really good at is those persons that are intuitive, that can connect with people, that can care for people and help people? How do you sustain them and give them alternative career paths? So apprenticeship programs in that sense, in those areas, um, 
can really sort of extend out that competency based over a year and they're continually connecting with professionals, gaining confidence, Mm -hmm. feeling appreciated. And with that, they can then move on to the next, the next level. Cause now I'm confident. I know this stuff. Maybe now I can take another class at a, at a college and feel good about it because I know stuff because I've experienced it. Yeah. And, and I think that right there is the game changer. It's Absolutely. the game changer. I think it's yeah, a- and I've been working really hard with trying to get in my past job. And, and even when I was at the college is getting those experiences articulated into formal credit. Right. Because I think a lot of people don't give themselves credit for what they know and what they can do in general. I think, you know, like I work with all gifted people and most of the time I'll say, that's a really cool skill you have, or you're really good at that. Or I love this about how you think, whatever. And they look at me like, what? Isn't everybody like this? And I'm like, there you go. Our brain, our ego, that's not our amigo, wants us to think that we're all the same. The truth is none of us are. Everyone is neurodivergent in the real, authentic, cellular, neurological way. Yes, they use, use it a lot diagnostically in order to get services. But the truth is, no two of us are the same. Now, and I think sometimes there's this sort of like false myth out there that it, we can't be included. You know, it's sort of like Rudolph and watching all the other reindeers play. And um, I included and gave you one of the links yesterday to a fabulous organization called Jobs for the Future, JFF. And what JFF is striving to do in their part as part of the apprenticeship movement, registered apprenticeship, is really open it wide open, you know, bust it open and look at people with varying abilities, looking at youth that um, may not have the benefit of career coaching or professional parents to kind of guide them. So there's some really good stuff on that website. I would definitely recommend if you put it in the link that folks go there and take a look at just all the cool stuff that's happening out there. Right. See, there's way more happening to support neurodivergent people and all of us gifted people than we realize. So all that link and all your other links are going to be in the show notes. And if you're enjoying really what Susan's having to say as much as I am, then you want to follow her on LinkedIn for sure. And pay attention because she's a forerunner in this space and is extremely knowledgeable in this space. And so if you are curious or you're wondering how it applies or doesn't apply or whatever, Every day, I think I see something that you've shared or put up, especially on LinkedIn, that really helps me understand more deeply how I can apply this whole idea to the gifted people that I work with. And um, so there you go, everybody. Follow her on LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah. And and one more thing I want to say, I took an interesting program in in my master's level. And one of the first courses, it was at it was at Loyola University in Chicago. And one of the first courses I took was called the philosophy of work and love. And I've been thinking about work for a long time and the philosophy of work. And a lot of people think, oh, I got to go to my job. I got to do this. And, and really, I think the greatest message that I want to put out there is that there's dignity in all work. Yes. There's great dignity in all work. And it's what you bring to the work that you do. Um, 
And there's a place for everybody at the table. And yes. everyone's yes. input matters because we need everybody. We can't do this alone. So whether you're, you know, if you're, you know, in that neurodivergent world, you've got a space, you know, a space and a place and, and your gifts are so needed. So, yeah, take advantage of that and, and find your work. People say, who is it, Diane, you've heard it, you know, if you find your passion, it won't be work or something like that, right? You something like that. Your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, kind of look at it that way. But the other way is what dignity in my what dignity, what am I bringing to my work today? Right. And how can I do the best that I can do? I always ask that, you know, what's my mindset? What am I, what am I here to do? And whatever the, the next situation is all day long and whatever it is, what's mine to do here and yeah. what parts of me need to show up for whatever it is. And, and it keeps things real mm -hmm. for me. And, and I think it adds power to all of us. And I think it's very true. I totally agree with you here that um, all people deserve and have a place because I kind of see life as like a big jigs jigsaw puzzle. You know, those 10,000 piece ones with those little tiny pieces. And none of us have exacto knives, even though people try to cut pieces to make a fit. And so if one piece is out of that big puzzle, we notice it right away. Mm -hmm. And it, it's important that everybody realize that we're all one of those pieces and that all of us deserve to be there. And without each one of us showing up in our authentic way, the puzzle is not complete. Mm -hmm. And it's important. Mm -hmm. It's very, very important. Mm -hmm. Now, I have some other questions that mm -hmm. I would like to ask you about um, or talk about. And one of them is if there's somebody listening to us, a lot of the people who listen to this show are, you know, have um, kids in high school and college and things themselves. And they're thinking about, well, how do I get started? Or, oh, an apprenticeship sounds interesting to me. What do I do? So what kind of resources do people research? Can they just Google registered apprenticeship programs and find it in their local area? I mean, this podcast is in like 70 countries. So not all, not everybody's in the right. United States. Right. Where do you get started? How, did, how does somebody take that first step other than messaging you on LinkedIn? Yeah, well, you can go to messaging you online. Right, you can go to the U.S. Department of Labor, and I and I put that web that link there. You can okay. go in there, and it will actually show you what apprenticeships are in what states in the United States. Um, also, in your individual state, you can go in and put registered apprenticeship programs in. If you're in Illinois, or you know, New York, California, um, Idaho, Nevada, and they're all over. Um, for our friends that are outside this country, I'm sure you know, apprentice, registered apprenticeship programs have been around for quite some time and many of you are doing it. We're sort of, we're sort of catching up there, but many of you have been doing it for a while. Um, and I've met with folks from, from the UK and had some good conversations about what's going on over there, as well as in Ireland and Germany. Um, so yeah, that's one of the first things to do is, and then I always tell you know, young people look at what's out there and then start, the best thing you do is go to ONET. So, oh, and I didn't put that one in the link, Diane, but it's O-N-E-T. And you can put your occupation in there and you can click on it and it'll tell you about that occupation. 
It'll also tell you what the need is for that occupation. And if you see a little bright sun next to it, that tells you that's a bright outlook for that occupation. And we've got so many emerging occupations now. Um, a lot of sort of crossing over from technology into other areas that there's some some really good information out there. You can also drill down and it will tell you if there's apprenticeships in your area. So let's say you're looking for an apprenticeship as a, um, well, I talked about programming. You could go in there and put programming, click on it. It'll bring up everything about what are some of the skills what are some of the things you need to think about? And then if you continue down that page, it'll also have a link there for apprenticeships so that you can then put that in and you can put your state up, state in there. And it will give you that information as well. Mentorship is really important. So I always tell students when you're starting to look at a, a career, find somebody in that career, talk to them. What do they like about it? What do they remember when they got started? I get those phone calls all the time. Um, I have two friends of mine that are college professors. At, and so when their people are getting ready to graduate with their bachelor's degrees, I can always tell because I start getting phone calls and people wanting to know about being in mental health and being in substance abuse. And how did I start working with gifted people and all of those things. And for me, it's a big honor that they call mm -hmm. and I take all the time in the world to answer whatever questions and I leave the door open. They can call me anytime. Um, that they want to, because I really think that that's part of our responsibility mm -hmm. as um, a seasoned professional in our careers is to be open and available for the people coming up and to answer their questions with honesty and integrity and authenticity, not just say flipping things off the side of, you know, mm -hmm. because no, you know, just because I feel like it, I guess. Um, I think it's important. I think it's important to step in as a seasoned professional in any area and when somebody shows interest or curiosity to be that person to say yes. Yeah, it can be daunting though, do you know, to approach somebody and talk to somebody. So sometimes I think what you can do is you can make questions and call it your informational interview, you know, and um, put on your, put on your uh, news, your, your journalistic hat and, and do an informational interview about what that person does Right. That works really well. I know that when I was starting out in the substance abuse field after my master's degree, the medical director of the place I was working, uh, Dr. Myers, he's amazing. I still I, I refer to him now as my first mentor. I didn't even know what the word was back then, um, but he took me under his wing. And he we, when I would be in his office, he would just share ideas and share things. And years later, I'm like, oh, that's what he was talking about. Oh, whoa. And I was putting dots together many years after that position, because he obviously saw something in me and he wanted to bring it forward more, but he didn't say it that way. He just showed interest. So I think that's another way that those of us who are seasoned can pay attention. Well, and, and you were lucky you went right into counseling. I was an English major. So I always laugh when I talk to people and I say, I know I never thought as being an English major, I'd wind up working as a director of workforce development or in my past job as a apprenticeship uh, specialist for the state of Florida. So I guess it's surprising where some things will lead you. So if people make fun of you for being an English major or philosophy major, know that the world needs more of us. Right. There's always a place. Absolutely does. And, and 
it's you you are evidence of it. And I have many friends that are okay. evidence of it where they got degrees that, that back then people were going, oh, you don't ever use that. And I'm like, oh yeah, you do use it. You do use it. And um, I had somebody ask me the other day, well, when was the last time you used any of the things from the degrees you have? I go like five minutes ago, yeah. like all the time, you know, either it's my education or appreciation of the English language or how to communicate or all of those things. Like we learn more than just the topic when we're in school. There's more going on, just like in apprenticeships, there's more happening than what's on the surface. Yeah. And, you know, if I can throw a personal story in here, I also I followed the train right out of high school and was in college for about a year and a half and desperately flunked out of it. Yes. So I went into the work world and did some, you know, did some things and then didn't go back till I was 25. And so, you know, sometimes that pressure to follow that traditional way, I would have saved myself a, a couple of dollars had I not. Um, but it was a lesson I had to learn. So I, I think there's a lot of different ways. And part of that was, Diane, you know, I was kind of gifted and I didn't have, I didn't know how to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. So I really, you know, thanks to you, have learned how to spot, you know, truly gifted people that are kind of floundering Mm-hmm. And um, just said, "Hey, here's here's another here's another place you can go, or here's another pathway that you can take, and and you can get to that place eventually. But don't feel like you have to. Don't feel the pressure. You know, we put ourselves into so much pressure. So it's okay to be unconventional. Sometimes it's even more fun. <laughs> yes." <laughs> you know, and I wish I would have learned that earlier in my life. I, I was under France of it has to be a certain way all the time. And it was a ton of pressure. And, um, and I bet I'm making up for it now. There you go. That's good. Totally making up for it now. So I have a couple final questions um, to ask you. One is, is what's the most memorable food you've ever eaten in all your travels around the globe? Well, let's see. When I was in Paris many years ago, they have this platter called the um what is it called fruit of the sea so fruit de mar and it's a big platter and it has i was in i was in uh, paris yeah paris had every kind of shellfish you could imagine now here's the funny story i and i grew up on the south side of chicago you know tuna fish in a can was pretty much you know my idea of fish thankfully i had a friend who coached me with there's a lot of silverware and crackers and things like that that was probably one of the most memorable so learning how to open those things and trying something new trying something outside my comfort zone and uh and and just having fun with it oh i love it that's perfect so is there anything that you were hoping to share today that i didn't bring up or ask about or anything like that before you get your last question of the day (laughs) Um, just that I want to emphasize that registered apprenticeship programs are a cultural change for employers. And so they're starting to see that we need to have a more caring culture and those mentorship and those relationships are what make that happen. Mm. And, um, I just think it, you know, that's what it's all about. Mentoring, caring, helping one another, giving people options 
uh, different career pathways and um, recognizing people's competence. Mm, beautiful. beautiful. Recognizing competence versus that whole old mindset of deficit, 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 what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. Why don't we look for what's right and, and make that grow. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. And so your final question of the day. Yes. Is um, if we were going to put a billboard up that the entire world was going to see with your personal quote on it, what would that quote be? I was just thinking about this this morning. It always seems impossible until it's done. Done, right. And that's Mandela. Yep. Always seems impossible until it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes we we become very overwhelmed, especially in this day of information. And so just kind of saying to yourself, what's the next thing I have to do? Mm -hmm. And just keep putting one foot forward. Yeah. Yeah. I always say suit up, show up, do the next right thing. There you go. Remember, it'll, it'll all work out somehow. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Susan, for being on the show with us today. And everybody, you can find Susan Bazuski-Eber's information all in the show notes. Her bio is there along with all the links she mentioned and how to follow her on LinkedIn and elsewhere. So do it and you will learn something new almost every day. So thank you, Susan, for being on the show. Thank you, Diane, for having me. Everyone have a great day. My pleasure. So remember, everybody, to put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You are here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there, take a chance, do something really magical with your life. And remember that with every breath you take, you are the gift that you're giving to the world. Until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.